0: Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of his word in today's message. Church, as we continue to worship, would you take your copy of God's word and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 21 this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 21, in the pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 244, 1 Samuel 21, page 244 in the pew Bible before you. If you go to a concert, one of the reasons that you have paid the money to attend that artist, that band's concert is because you are a fan most likely. And because you are a fan, you you have made the arrangements to be in the presence of, of this artist, this band that you love, and you wanna hear the songs that you know. You wanna hear the greatest hits, no doubt. You wanna hear the songs that, that you know by heart and you want to be able to sing them back. But also, if, you, if you're seeing an artist that you really love, if you're seeing a band that you really love, you also don't wanna just hear the greatest hits, but you wanna hear the deep cuts. You wanna hear the, the side B tracks to the hidden gems. Not everybody will know them. They're not going to be the sing along songs, most likely, but you want to hear them because you're a fan. I know I'm here to tell you that we are walking through the story of the life of David, and we, we have come to, to many of the, the greatest hits. We begin with 1 uh, Samuel where he describes to us the, the unlikely calling of David to be the successor to the kingdom of Saul. And we've moved from his unlikely calling to the unlikely victory that God gives David over this giant named Goliath. We, we've sung the greatest hits. We looked last week at the unlikely friendship between David and Jonathan, Jonathan being the son of Saul. Saul who is jealous of David who's trying to silence David and kill David, it is an unlikely friendship. But now we we move to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and it it is not one of the greatest hits. It's a deep cut. but If we listen closely this morning, we, we will hear God sing to a very deep part of our own soul that even in the midst of the most unlikely of circumstances, he is with us and he provides for us. Hear the word of the Lord. Starting in verse one of 1 Samuel 21, then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has charged me with the matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priests gave him the holy bread. For there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it was taken away. This unlikely person, David, has been called in an unlikely way to be the successor of Saul, it's an unlikely victory, and an unlikely friendship. And what is likely about all of this is that jealousy is going to reign. And boy, does it. Saul, the king, holds on to the kingdom with this maniacal, tight grip. He will not let go of it. As, as David is, is catapulted to prominence in Israel, of, of course, David's heart rages with jealousy. And so Saul has, has one goal, and that is to, to stomp out this threat. Not only a threat to, to him, but a threat to his lineage, his, a threat to, to Jonathan and, and to the kingdom continuing to be in his name here. And so David does what? He flees to safety. David is a man on the run. And he runs two miles away outside of Jerusalem to a place called Nob. It's a priestly town. It's a place where he meets Ahimelech, the priest. And they have a rather interesting conversation. You see it there in verse 1. Ahimelech's response is that he trembles at the sight of David before him. Is it a, is it a trembling out of reverence? Most likely not. He hears David's story and he knows something is fishy about it. He knows something is strange about it. David is of too much of a prominence, too much of of one to just go off wandering by himself. Of course, there would be some type of entourage with him. He's not only by by himself, but he's also comes with an empty stomach. Something's wrong about this. And so Ahimelech just inquires, why are you by yourself? David comes up with a story. And most likely what David is doing in the deceit that he brings before Ahimelech is he wants to give this priest plausible di- de- deniability. He he wants, because he realizes that by him, David going before this priest, Saul is most likely going to get wind of this. And when Saul has his eyes fixed upon all the steps that David does as he's fleeing, it he most likely is going to come back to this priest. And David is probably giving cover to this priest. And in the midst of their conversation here, David has a request and you know what the request is, is we need food. He's going to meet up with the entourage of, of those that are going to be fleeing with him here, but he's by himself. He asks for food and the priest simply says, you've come to the wrong place. I don't have food. I can't go down to the publics there, 10 minute drive, come back with bread to give you here but the priest realizes i do have bread on site but the bread that ahimelech has on site is holy bread it's the bread of presence 12 loaves that have been placed upon the shrine before god not to feed god but is this symbolic reminder of god's provision for his people coming out of egypt as God fed them and provided for the Israelites as he brings them into the promised land. So the holy bread, the bread of presence would not have been eaten by just normal people passing through. Every Sabbath they would take the bread away, the 12 loaves, they would discard it by feeding the priests that were on duty and they would have 12 fresh loaves that were put in the place there. And so David doesn't qualify. David can't eat this bread. Of, of course David's men can't eat this bread. So David is out of luck, right? Wrong. The priest, the Himelech, sees the dire situation that David is in, sees that David needs bread. And then they have this back and forth conversation about ritual purity, not only of David, but also of David's men. And Ahimelech sees the need and provides food And this would have been unheard of, and this would have been unknown of a possibility, but Ahimelech sees and loves David and provides for David. And if you're listening to this story, even if you are not up on the deep cuts of the life of David, there's something about this story that you say, I've heard this somewhere else. Somewhere else I've heard this story, right? Right. Mark chapter 2, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus and the disciples on the Sabbath are walking through a field. They begin to harvest the grain in the field. They begin to get the seeds and they begin to eat in the midst of the field on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are incensed by this. Jesus is breaking the law you can't harvest field on the Sabbath here. You can't provide for yourself in this way here. And Jesus does what? He goes back to this very story to silence his critics. He says, you, you remember when David was on the run and you remember when the priest provides the bread of presence for the need there? And so what does Jesus do? when he silences his critics because his critics know the law. And they're going to cross their T's and they're going to dot their I's with great precision and they're going to keep the letter of the law and in keeping the letter of the law, they miss the spirit of the law and the spirit of the law is to love God and to love neighbor and Ahimelech in 1 Samuel 21 is loving David, providing for David's food and Jesus It's going to be provided by God's bountiful creation and provides for the disciples even on the Sabbath here. So that story is a familiar story. But David doesn't ask just for bread. He comes with an empty stomach, but he also comes to the priest, the Himelech in 1 Samuel 21, with, with an empty hand. He's weaponless. Now he goes to the wrong place. Uh, you, I mean, you don't have to be an expert in ancient Near Eastern customs to know that if you're trying to find a weapon, David asks, verse eight, verse nine, he needs a spear or he needs a sword. The last place that you're probably gonna go is an Israelite priest to be able to find that. But David most likely knows that Ahimelech is going to be able to give him something that he needs. And so the priest says, well, you've come to really the wrong place, except I do have. A weapon for you. And would you know that Ahimelech goes into the back and, and pulls out the sword, not just any sword, but the sword of Goliath, the very sword that David had as as he as he threw that stone and it and it and it and it, and it, and it slayed the, the giant Goliath, and he, and David walks over there and pulls out Goliath's own sword and cuts off the giant Goliath's head with his own sword. It's that sword that Ahimelech has. Don't don't miss this. David in the midst of his wanderings, he's fleeing. He comes with an empty stomach and he comes empty handed and he leaves with bread and he leaves with a sword that was a reminder years before of how God provided for him in the midst of his greatest foe, that giant Goliath. See, King Saul is right on his heels, chasing him down. But what this story is reminding us is, is that King Saul is no match for David because King Saul is no match for David's God, the King of Kings. So the King of Kings has chosen this anointed one and as Saul sets his eyes against David, he's setting his eyes against his God. But that's not the end of the story. It's a really odd and unique story that, that the more we listen to it, it, it's even stranger what happens next. Here, here the rest of the story in verse 10. David rose and fled that very day. He's got bread in his stomach, a weapon in his hand, and he's still fleeing. He's still a man on the run from Saul. And he went to Achish, the king of Gath. Gath is a place you need to know. Out of all the places he could go, He went to this king in this place. Verse 11, the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack a madman that then you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Strange, isn't it? David flees the Gath. That really is probably something that doesn't just stand out as odd to you on first glance here, but it should be. Do you, do you remember another time that we heard of a person being from Gath? In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse four, we're first introduced to the Philistine's greatest foe. And you know where he was from? Gath. So David on the run has Goliath's sword and he flees to of all the places that he would not be welcomed. He flees to this, uh, to this land that would border uh, the uh, uh, Philistine territory and that were very, uh, very much enemies of the people of God. And he walks into that place with Goliath's sword. Of course, people recognized him and they weren't really welcoming of his presence there. Of course, he fears for his life. I mean, it's the equivalent in some respects of uh, David. David is thinking, maybe nobody would notice me. Maybe no one would notice me. Why does he think this? Because he is trying to flee. And where is he going to flee? He's going to flee to the place that he thinks, where's the last place in the world where Saul would think I would go to? Well, it's that place. I mean, there are certain places because of your prominence, you're definitely not gonna be able to be incognito and blend in. If Hugh Freeze is in Tuscaloosa this morning, walking down University Boulevard, somebody's probably gonna notice him there. If Lane Kiffin wakes up and he, and he decides that he's gonna drive from Oxford, Mississippi to Starkville, Mississippi to have breakfast at a Cracker Barrel, someone is going to notice he's in the wrong land. They notice that David is in the wrong land. David realizes that he is facing to lose his life. Why does he do all of this? Because he is simply afraid. And he's going from place to place trying to do the best that he can to stay alive and he flees and in the midst of fleeing, he is under the hands of the enemy, the Philistines again. And of course he is going to die, but he doesn't. And the way that he gets out of this bind is he pretends to be insane. Drool flowing down his beard. He begins to write on the walls. I don't know if he's writing his initials. I don't know if he's writing David was here in the year. I, you know, it doesn't. the text doesn't tell us that. But he gets the attention of this king so much so that the king says to all of his servants, hey, we don't have any shortage of people that are losing their mind in our own kingdom. I don't need an extra one, get him out of here. Now, what in the world does all of this have to do with your life and my life? I mean, is this just a story that we can just sort of weave into the details and say this happened? Well, if all the scripture is profitable for teaching and proof, if all the scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, is there something that is more meaningful than just a mere history lesson? Well, what if we could, What if we could get into the mind of David in the midst of him being empty handed with an empty stomach, fleeing into enemy occupied territory. What if we could could know what his prayer life was like? What if we could know what his praise life was like? What if we could know the inner monologue of his heart? What if we had access to this and we open up God's word in Psalm 56 and we read, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise and God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long, they injure me, they injure my calls. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape in wrath, cast down the peoples. Oh God, you've kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle, Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call, this I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God, I will render thank offerings to you, for you've delivered my soul from death yes, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of light, the light of life. Does Psalm 56 have anything to do with David? Well, look at the chapter. If you look at Psalm 56, right under it, there's a subscript right there. And the subscript that you'll see on the screen behind me in the Bible before you says, to the choir master, according to the dove on far off Terebinth, a mictum of David, ding, 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 when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So when all of this is going on in 1 Samuel chapter 21, when God provides for him with a sword and provides for him with bread, and when he acts like he's going insane to be able to get out of the clutches of the enemy, he is saying, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Verse 11, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. David shows us, church, he shows us the way to face our fears. And David has real fears. I, I hope you see that. that, that David has real people that are really trying to harm him, really trying to injure him. This isn't an irrational projection, sort of. This isn't, this isn't David coming up with things that he really shouldn't be worried about. No, but, but what he's saying is with, with real unknowns, with real darkness, with real foes, with real enemies, he is saying, God is protecting me and he's providing for me even in the worst of my days. And would you believe that that's true, not just for David, but that's true for you? That in the midst of your fears, real fears, real anxiety, real uncertainty, that you child of God, that God is protecting you and God is providing for you even in the midst of your days. And you will have days. You will have days where there are incidents and accidents that come your way. I've always been struck by that Dr. Seuss book, Oh, The Places That You Will Go, that just seems uh, cheerfully optimistic. We give it to 17-year-olds as they're they're leaving the house, head of their freshman year to do what all that is before them. Oh, the places they will go. But in, in the midst of that optimistic and cheerful book that has become so endearing to so many people. Dr. Seuss pauses to give us this sobering reminder, I'm sorry to say, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. I'm sorry to say, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups have happened to many of you. And bang ups and hang ups are before many of you. Real things to be afraid of. Real things that cause anxiety. Real accidents, real incidents. Sometimes you get a call in the middle of the night and you can't get words out because the words that you hear are words that seem like a dream that you can't wake up from. Hey, there's been an accident, come quick. And fear grips your heart. You need a call back from the doctor's office. Scans have come back. There are conversations to be had. Options are before you, none of them good. None of them what you want to travel. And you're sitting before the sterile doctor's office looking into the face of someone that you've known just for minutes of your life in fear Grips your heart. You get a text message from your spouse. It's in the middle of just a normal day. Hey, we need to talk. There's some things you need to know. Real fear. Real anxiety. The email comes. It's just a normal 2.30 afternoon. It comes from your boss. You immediately get it. We need to set up a time. We need to talk to you about our future. You get another text message in a couple of days where your bank is informing you that the checking balance is low. Real fears, Not Irrational. Projections, real fears. I, I know none of you will have this maniac chasing you from state to state across lines, trying to track you down. I know that's probably not what's going to happen, but you will walk in a life and in a world that have real things that can cause real fear. We have this understanding of Christianity that sometimes that, that if you are a follower of God, that that God gives you this force field of immunity from calamities and anxieties. And it's just not true. We, We walk in the steps of a savior that was brutally killed on the cross. Bang ups and hang ups, my friends do happen to people that love Jesus. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. I doubt many of you know the name of Alan Emery. He's not a household name, but in the 1940s, he inherits this Wonderful business from his father's wool and textile industry. And he was adventurous as he was the new owner and CEO of the company. And he would go on these wool buying trips and excursions in the 1950s. And oftentimes he would spend the night with shepherds out in the fields looking up at the stars in the sky. One night, the quiet, peaceful night was pierced with the sound of coyotes. And their cries coming forth. He he is startled out of this deep sleep. He looks out into the fields, darkness all around him, but he hears, he hears the sound of the, of the shepherd dogs uh, growling and, and moving out to the edges of the, of the camp that they had set for the night there. And they're peering out into the darkness. His eyes can't adjust. You can hear the sound of all of the hundreds of sheep that, that lumber to their feet. And they're, they're crying out and they're scurrying about here. And the shepherd, he slowly gets up. He walks to the campfire and he puts a, a few more logs on the fire and the, and the fire itself, the flames shoot up high into the air. And it's then that he sees, he sees hundreds of, of eyes And the reflection of the fire in the eyes of all of the sheep. And it dawned upon him in that moment that in the midst of darkness, in the midst of danger, the sheep looked not into the darkness. But the sheep kept their eyes fixed in the direction of the shepherd. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Years ago, I received this acronym. I don't know where I got it. Somewhere, someone shared this with me. Just an invitation to rest in the midst of fear, an invitation to rest in the midst of uncertainty, an invitation to rest from the question marks and the unknown, and in that invitation, we reflect upon God's character and we engage God through his word and prayer. We surrender our fear and anxiety to him each moment, each day, each week on our knees and we trust him, we trust him with today. And we trust him with whatever our tomorrow will bring because why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And to all of us who know the great shepherd, To all of us who have placed our faith in our great shepherd, I ask you a few questions here this morning. I ask you this, has there ever been a day that your shepherd has dropped you? Has there ever been a day that your shepherd is not with you? Has there ever been a day that your shepherd doesn't provide for you? Is there ever a day, a moment, a week, a year, a a minute, a second of your life that he, your shepherd, is not walking beside you? Has there ever been a time that your shepherd has failed you? When you fear... when the unknowns and the question marks are all around you, turn to your shepherd and hear him say, child, when you are afraid, put your trust in me. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit DawsonChurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.